Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Roaring Twenties came to a whimpering halt with the stock market crash of 1929. But some businesses continued to thrive. Bootlegging, for example, and gambling and prostitution and narcotics, and all those sinful escapes from the realities of hard times. No need for Louis Carboni to jump out of the window. Gangster Carboni was as prosperous the day after the crash as the day before. But our Dread Time story begins not on the mob's north side, but in Academia's Hyde Park, another insular slice of society that little feels these hard times. In a bungalow near the college campus, a distinguished dean of the medical college, Dr. Clarence Armstrong, is about to spend a quiet evening with his wife Lillian. They've been very happily married these 40 years. Dear, is your tea cold? Would you like me to refresh it? No, dear, and I don't need any more cookies. If any woman makes better sugar cookies than Lillian Armstrong, I'd like to meet her. <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs> Let me get you a fresh cup. No, you just sit beside me and we'll enjoy the music and the fire. Tomorrow will come soon enough. We'll once again be dealing with those little monsters. Hmm, what an awful way to refer to medical students. Why, you often say they're the best and the brightest our generation has to offer. And if that isn't faint praise, I don't know what is. We have a terribly high failure rate at the college. So many of these students prove a dispiriting disappointment. They come in with fine undergraduate marks, but when push comes to shove... Ignore that. We deserve our quiet evening. Dear, i better get that. Doesn't sound like whoever it is is going to stop. Uh, yes, what can... Oh, my. Oh! My God! What is it? Good evening, Dean Armstrong. Who? Uh, what? Why, Dean, I don't exist. I am a medical impossibility. Darling, I... I couldn't stop him. I... 
I don't know. Mrs. Armstrong, I mean you no harm. But you do need to witness the lesson your husband is about to learn. Never too late to learn, Dean Armstrong. Mrs. Armstrong, sit. No. In that chair. No. Leave him alone. Leave us alone. And be quiet. You leave my wife alone. I intend to if she behaves. But as for you... Let go of me. Let go of my... My... Arm! If you weren't so close-minded, Dean Armstrong, you'd know how to sew that arm back on. You could sew this one on, too. We'll return to Fangorio's Dreadtime Stories after these words. Now back to Fangorio's Dreadtime Stories and a good head on his shoulders. Later on the very same night that a distinguished medical college staff member was dismembered, Mob boss Louis Carboni, at his lodge-like cottage on Lake Michigan, just outside the city, is meeting with Lieutenant Cliff Grafton of the Chicago City Police, a regular weekly meeting. Outside, the night has turned ugly. Lieutenant. This is one of them nights not fit for man nor beast that you hear about. Tell me about it. You should have seen the crime scene I just come from. Body parts everywhere. The victim's wife saw it all, and right now she's resting up in a padded suite in the kind of nightgown that buttons up the back. Hmm. That medical school mangler again? Oh, yeah. It's the mangler, all right. He signs his work. In gore. Louis Carboni is not a big man. His face is round, baby smooth, thick lipped. His eyes are bright and dark, glittering under heavy black brows and a prominent forehead. Thinning black hair slicked back over a massive skull. His thick five dollar cigar smolders in the similarly thick fingertips of a hand heavy with jewel-encrusted golden rings. He wears a scarlet monogrammed silk smoking jacket over cream-color silk pajamas with gray lambskin slippers. Short, wide, solid. The mob boss looks like a beast somebody dressed up for a joke. Of course, Carboni doesn't see it that way. You know, Lieutenant, I ain't no monster. Scratch that. I am not no monster. Some people think I am. I know that. But they're stupid people. Uncultured. Unschooled. What do you care what people think, Mr. Carboni? Lieutenant. It's Louis. Louis. Ain't we... aren't we pals by now? How many nights have you stopped by for a nice friendly drink? And a few grand? <laughs> well, Louis, if you put it that way... Let's go sit by the fire. 
Hey, Vinny. Vinny! You need, you need something, boss? A beer for the lieutenant. I'm not having anything just yet. You got it, boss. You're right, lieutenant. What other people think ain't important. It isn't important. But what I think of myself is. You mean your opinion of yourself? That's right. Look at them books on all those shelves. Does an ignorant man have that many books? And I read them, too. I can't compete on that score. You know who most of them books is about? You know whose bus that is over there? Well, it ain't Mae West's. It's Napoleon, right? Right. I know more about the little corporal than his own damn mother. He accomplished a lot at a young age, you know. Look what you've accomplished, Louis, at age 30. Damn right. I come out of the roughest neighborhood of Brooklyn, Lieutenant. My pop run a barber shop and was in solid with the Black Hand Boys, which is where I got my connections. Hell, I didn't know that. I thought your connection was Danny Torello. Danny's why I come to Chicago, God rest his soul. To help him run whorehouses. When Prohibition come in, it was me convinced Danny to expand. Even if it meant war. Lieutenant, war is the natural process by which civilization finds out who its real leaders are. There's a book over there whose philosophies is way behind the grasp of your average Chicago Goomba. The Prince, it's called. A consigliere called Machiavelli wrote it. Was there a movie? Maybe I saw the movie. Not that kind of book. You know, I give that book to Carlo, and you know what he says? Boss, I can't read. Can't read, he says. Carlo Gaja? Yeah, my old second-in-command. He was a good man. I always thought you was grooming him. Oh, you bet your ass I was. Carlo. He was no dummy. He had a good head on his shoulders, Carlo. But what good did it do him? Made a damn X for his signature. Handsome kid, real ladies' man. And he had street smarts. Too bad. Too bad somebody killed him, you mean? It's hard being a leader of men, Lieutenant. You gotta make some sacrifices for the common good. I always thought you two was like brothers. Mm, me too. Me too. But turns out, Carlo was cutting side deals. Hard way to go, bullet in the throat. It was the Gianni bunch that done it. Did it. Right. Here you go, Lieutenant Grafton. Thanks, kid. You know, Lieutenant, only a monster has no conscience. Me. I feel bad. I feel sorry when one of my boys has to go away. It must be hard losing soldiers in a war. Nah, lots of damn soldiers fall in any war. Pawns to be sacrificed. But sometimes the a captain or a colonel or a major in an army can get ideas they shouldn't start getting too powerful for their own damn good. And well, I understand. Do you, Lieutenant? That paper sack you're gonna take home tonight? That little three grand sack lunch? 
You get that? Because this is business. And certain unpleasant maneuvers are necessary in maintaining the proper power structure. I'm sure. Nothing personal. Somebody steps over the line, they get took care of. It's nothing personal. It's not like some monstrous act by some madman. Like our medical school mangler. Right. That maniac is targeting professors, doctors of all people, healers, people who help people, who train people. Who would do such a savage thing? Beats me. Beats the whole damn department. Yeah. I, uh... Better finish my beer and get going. Don't forget your sack lunch. Ah, no. This mangler killed tonight. What does that make? Seven. Seven slayings in as many weeks. Bodies torn apart savagely. Limbs flung around quiet studies at cozy bungalows near Hyde Park. Like a damn butcher shop that got upended. That crime scene tonight was like some crazy modern artist was splashing around the red. Listen, I, I don't want to go out through where your boys are. I'll exit the French doors, you don't mind? Sure. Snug those trench coat collars up, my friend. It's wet out there. Right, Louis. See you next week. Hey, where'd the copper go? Up the chimney, stupid. Santa Claus in reverse. Oh, that don't even sound possible. What do you want, Vinny? I was just about to enjoy the solitude. Ah, uh, solitude. That's your new word of the day, boss? You know, you're really building a, 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 a call it a... Vocabulary. Yeah. What do you want, Vinny? Oh, oh, you, you got another visitor. I wanted to give the copper a chance to clear out first, but Grafton, he beat me to it. I'm not in the mood for another visitor, Vinny. Okay, but it's Doc Stein. What the hell's the Doc doing here? We ain't sent him any patience in weeks. I don't know, boss. But he's acting real strange, like all sweaty, nervous as a snake on a radiator. Looks like hell, too. Nah, I don't want to see him. Yeah, but boss, he says it's urgent. All right. Send him in. We'll return to Fangorio's Dreadtime stories after these words. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. 
Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes, plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now, back to Fangoria's Dread Time Stories and... A good head on his shoulders. Carboni doesn't like doing the bidding of some minion, even an important one like Doc Stein. Meek little guy like that, weak chin, slighter build, ordinary features, and those piercing dark eyes that give Carboni the willies nervous eyes. But Doc Stein knows where the bodies are buried. Hell, he buried most of them. Or what was left of them when the Doc's farmhouse crematorium got through with them anyway. Here he is, boss. Come in, Doc. Come in. Mr. Carboni, thank you for seeing me. Vinny, you imbecile. Take his damn coat. He's sopping wet. Have some goddamn manners. Sure, boss. Anything else, boss? Yeah. Get the hell out of here. Sure thing, boss. My God, Doc. You got blood all over your smock. What did you do? Come straight from the operating room? You know the kind of impromptu practice I've been forced to lead. Again, thank you for making time for me. Always time for you, Doc. Pull up a chair. You're damp as hell. Sit by the fire and warm the old sawbones. Thank you, Mr. Carboni. Uh, sorry about the short notice. I hate to impose. Hey, you're my staff medic. In my business, when the bullets start to fly, you need somebody who can make the necessary repairs. Somebody good, but without a medical license, which uh, precludes the need to report gunshot wounds to the cops. Precludes? Your word of the day, I trust? Well, I am pleased you value me in my role. There's some nice brandy over on the liquor cart, Doc. I was thinking of maybe having some myself. Excellent vintage. Care to join me? Certainly. Here you go, Doc. This is my prescription. Thank you. I have to ask you to be patient with me, Mr. Carboni. Sure, Doc. As long as I'm not a patient of yours, I'm glad to see you. I am afraid that you are... You're going to find what I have to tell you somewhat... Incredible. Even fantastic. And I'm afraid... Unbelievable. Doc, I may just be a street kid who made good, but I'm not a stupid man. I have educated myself. Give me a little friggin' credit, okay? 
I mean no disrespect. I ask only that you grant me a few minutes to present my case with minimal interruption. Then you may toss me out on my ass, as your boys might say. Hey, Doc. I'd never ask him to do that to you. That's a relief to hear. But again, I request your patience. My story is a strange one. I believe you are under the misapprehension that I am a defrocked doctor, but in fact, I am a failed medical student. I had the highest marks in my class. I was attending on a full scholarship. The dean of the medical college was my mentor. It was all too perfect like something out of a storybook. I was a week away from graduation, ready to begin my internship when I was indeed, if I may use the phrase again, thrown out on my ass. Why in hell, Doc? Why in hell? Because of my experimentation into areas where man is not meant to go. Or so have said the unimaginative, petty medical minds of this so-called enlightened century. One would think that the peasants who launched witch hunts against my forebears were endemic to the 19th century. Unfortunately, that is not the case. They exist, these feeble-minded modern-day peasants, amongst the highest level of supposed society and the upper reaches of academia. But I race ahead of myself. I know, Mr. Carboni, that you have assumed I was either German or Jewish or a German Jew. In fact, I am neither. My roots are in Geneva. Wisconsin? No, Switzerland. My family name was in fact once quite illustrious. It was distorted, courtesy of a cheap popular novel of another age, which unfortunately has endured into something quite literally horrible. You see, my great-great-grandfather, after whom I was named, was Victor Frankenstein. And Frankenstein was not a monster. No matter what school children who've seen that cheap, recent Hollywood monstrosity may believe. Well, you know yourself, Mr. Carboni, how ridiculous Hollywood's exaggerations are. Yeah, I seen Public Enemy and Little Caesar. But are you saying Frankenstein was a... a real guy? Frankenstein was indeed a guy. A man. But more than just a man, a scientist the most brilliant scientific mind of his age. You want I should refill your glass, Doc? No, no more brandy. This is fine. Suffice to say that my great-great-grandfather did indeed manage to construct a living man out of bits and pieces of dead ones. Ah, come on. Don't kid a guy You with... assured me your patience, Mr. Carboni, and I must take you up on your offer. Okay, okay. It is also quite true that Victor Frankenstein and his creation became adversaries, and that they were lost to mankind, to science, on some polar ice cap long ago. Best seen in the book, and they skipped it in the picture. That's not important, Mr. Carboni. Please, allow me to continue. My father was not a scientist. He was ashamed of his heritage. It is he who dropped the prefix from our family name, condemning our family to a lifetime of anti-Semitism. A foolish man, my father. Perhaps vision skips a generation. Yeah, or maybe it just comes out of nowhere. I don't know of nobody great in my family till I come along. At any rate, I stumbled upon my great-great-grandfather's papers in a trunk in our attic when I was but 16. 
I already had a keen interest in science, and reading these brilliant, exciting documents inspired me further. I made medicine my goal, not to be some meager MD, but to do medical scientific research in the tradition of my great-great-grandfather. And even at that tender age, I formed the ambition to confirm and to continue his data, to repeat and perfect his grand experiment. It was toward this end that I was working. Cadavers weren't difficult to come by when the powers that be at the medical college right here in this city discovered my research. Dean Armstrong, my supposed mentor, instigated the proceedings that deprived me of my career before it had begun. I was out in the cold, told that I was lucky the good name of the school had to be preserved or I would have been turned over to the authorities. After which, so said the dean, I would be languishing in a prison, or more likely, an insane asylum. That was when my father did the only good turn he ever did me, putting me in touch with your late friend, Mr. Gazia. What? Please, patience. My father worked in trucking and had business dealings with Mr. Gazia, and this is how I became a part of your family, Mr. Carboni, your team. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess Carlo did recommend you, now that I think of it. Yes. Mr. Gazia said there was a need for a medical man in your organization. And soon I was set up with my farmhouse surgery. And since when? 1928? I've been patching up bullet holes and stitching up knife wounds and, on a number of occasions, disposing of patients who didn't pull through. Here, Mr. Carboni, is where you may truly lose patience with me. Here is where, frankly, I have possibly done you a disservice. What are you talking about? Please, I ask only that you withhold your judgment until I finish. It is from the cast-off refuse of your organization, the soldiers who have died in battle, that I have found the... spare parts? The materials I needed to pursue my experiments. To be candid, these experiments have been dismal failures. These stitched-together patchwork men have remained useless piles of protoplasm on my laboratory table. One after another, they have been consigned to the crematorium. Until three months ago. What happened three months ago? I recalled that my great-great-grandfather had kept his notes in the language of his native land, a Swiss-German dialect difficult for even a speaker of true German to understand. As a child, we'd spoken, even written German at home. Later, I took a college German course and felt I was capable, but in truth, I was not. What did you do about it? I took a crucial portion of my great-great-grandfather's notes on his key experiment to a native speaker of that particular German dialect. Out of context, these scientific ramblings were of no import to this woman. But to me, they were a revelation. They amounted to the key to the secret of creating life. With the correct translation in hand, I set about to assemble my own patchwork man. You mean, you made the real thing? Last winter, you had that outbreak with the Gianni brothers, remember? You lost five soldiers in that skirmish. They gave their lives to your cause, Mr. Carboni, but they gave me their limbs, their organs, 
their life's blood. I created a giant. Your men were chosen for their physical prowess. Remember Tony Lombardi? His torso became that of my giant. Remember Angie Barini's massive arms? Those formidable biceps? Those powerful forearms? They are now my giants. Come on, Doc. A joke's a joke. <laughs> you look as if you doubt me. Or my sanity. I can understand that. My story is almost over. Bear with me. I don't know, Doc. My giant was like a child. He had no memory of his former life, but he was not a baby. Walking came easily, and just hearing my speech awakened something in his own speech center. We were conversing normally by the third week. He wanted to know his purpose. <laughs> Can you imagine, Mr. Carboni? Look at that world out there. The rain lashing the windows, thunder cracking the sky, lightning making the night momentarily day. Can you imagine being face to face with the God who created all of that and who created you? Imagine how humble my giant felt in my presence. Unlike you and I, Mr. Carboni, my giant could face his creator. He could ask him the purpose of his life. A question we can ask the sky until it falls and never get an answer. But I had an answer for him. Revenge. I had brought him into this world to serve me. And the goal I wished him to reach was complete total vengeance upon those who would subvert science. Those who called me mad. Those who felt so threatened by my genius that they had to tear the future from my hands and fling me into the trash heap of humanity. The fools who stood in your way. You went after them, Doc. I didn't know you had it in you. I fooled them. I fooled them all. And my patchwork creature killed them all. And I saved the Dean for last. Just tonight. In front of the man's wife, who I instructed the giant not to touch, Although I understand she is quite mad now. She witnessed her husband's arms and legs being torn off as a naughty child might those of a grasshopper or beetle. Their cozy study, not unlike this one, was sprayed with his blood, littered with his flesh, filled with his screams. And he was only the latest, the dean was. There were six before. Teachers, board members, those who wronged me, those who denied the world, or tried to deny the world, my medical and scientific genius. That's rough stuff, Doc. But I gotta say, they deserved it, messing with my guy. I appreciate the sentiment. But a few days ago, something unfortunate occurred. You see, in my great-great-grandfather's notes, he indicated that his creation's memory remained a blank slate. His creation knew only the now, had been born again, but not in the Christian sense, and was a sort of eight-foot child. I assumed this would be the case with my giant, but after a time, he began having flashes of memory. At first, I deflected his questions, but finally he became irritated with me. Irritated with you? Something else my giant knows that you and I never shall, Mr. Carboni, is what it feels like to pick your creator up by the throat and scare the living hell out of him. Jesus. I requested that he put me down and pledged to answer his questions completely and honestly. 
I told him who he had been, and it acted as a sort of triggering mechanism. A floodgate of memory opened, and the face of Nicky DeLuca lighted up as the eyes of Willie Manzoni filled with the memories of Carlo Gaja. Carlo Gaja? Yes, Mr. Carboni, Carlo Gaja. A man you shot in this very room. You put Carlo Gaja's brain in the skull of your creature? You see, Mr. Carboni, as I mentioned before, your soldiers were men picked because of their physical nature. They were wonderful brutes and perfect specimens for my research purposes, in every way but one. Their deficient mentality. Fortunately for me, your good friend, your partner Carlo Gaja, was shot and killed just at the moment that I needed a man of superior intellect, which compared to my other prospects at least, Mr. Gaja certainly possessed. In addition to which, he'd been shot in the throat. So many of your deceased soldiers who passed through my hands in my farmhouse had been shot in the head, which of course makes their brains quite unusable. My God, what have you done? The problem we both have now, Mr. Carboni, is the brain of Carlo Gaja. It is filled with what I schooled my giant in in his first days, when he was taking his first baby steps, revenge. And Mr. Carboni, it is my unpleasant but necessary duty to tell you that the object of my giant's quest for his own personal vengeance is you, sir. We'll return to Fangoria's Dreadtime stories after this. And now back to Fangoria's Dreadtime stories and the conclusion to A Good Head on His Shoulders. Dr. Stein, this crazy story. It's all true? Yes, sir. I thought at first you was nuts, Doc. But mother of mercy, can this Halloween nightmare be real? Oh, yes. There's no waking up from this. What do you have there? My kind of medical instrument, Doc. A 45 automatic. If you really ain't kidding, Doc, and this is all the straight dope, I owe you one. One and be like this. Think nothing of it. And unlike them medical school bums, I take you serious. I can see the benefits a whole army of men, like your mangler, and there wouldn't be a mob on the face of the earth that could stop me. That's probably true. What the hell was that? Thunder? No. I think someone's come calling. What the hell's going on out there? I wouldn't go in there if I were you.
think he's gone. I'm... I'm going in there. A 45 can stop anything. I don't know. I heard a lot of gunshots. Not 45s. I'll be fine. After you. Oh my god. Lord! I ain't squeamish, but I never seen... It's a charnel house, all right. Oof. It will be no picnic for the coroner to match all of these body parts to their individual owners. Oh, and getting that arm down from that elk's head? That'll take a ladder. Boss! Help! Vinny's alive! Well, if you call being an armless, legless, torso living... Help! Help! That was probably the most decent thing you have ever done, Mr. Carboni. Not a pretty sight in here. He's strong, my giant is. Get back in the study. I've seen it. Look down this gun barrel, Doc. What do you see? Nothing. Right. And nothing is what's waiting for you if you don't tell me how I can kill this monster. Frankly, I'm not sure. His organs are all technically dead, although I suppose well-placed shots of sufficient caliber might stop the heart from pumping. Might? Trouble is, a side effect of my great-great-grandfather's creation process is a toughening up of the skin. A leathery effect, which most bullets can't even penetrate. Sorry. You crazy quack! You didn't come here to warn me! You came here to lead him to me! I am sorry, Mr. Carboni. I had to. You see, he did my bidding seven times. I owed him one. The only reason I'm not killing you is I might need you later. Sit down and stay put. I gotta get out of here. Damn, these French doors, they're stuck. My God, it's huge. Not it. Mr. Carboni, he. Behold a man. Behold a stitched together monstrosity. Them sales eyes, and that's Joey's nose, and that skull. It's gotta be Tony's. But the mind is Carlo Gaja's. Hello, Louis. Long time no see. You stay back. Stay back! Stay away! Oh my. Was that really necessary? Tearing his head off? He's spilling blood like a kicked over paint can. Where shall I put this ugly thing? Oh, that Napoleon bust there on the pedestal? Nap who? Napoleon. Another overly ambitious little general. 
Just knock that on the floor and put Mr. Carboni's decapitated cranium there for temporary display. His eyes and his mouth, they're still moving. Yes. Isn't that interesting? I'll keep that in mind for future research. Possibly Mr. Carboni's brain might still be functioning, at least until oxygen loss puts a stop to it. A topic worthy of pursuit. Ready to go, Doc? Would be nice to wait until that storm lets up. We wouldn't want to be here when the cops show. Should we wipe the place down for prints? Why? They're a dead man's prints. But you're right, my friend. We shouldn't be here when the authorities arrive. Ah, we've accomplished so much in these few weeks. But what now, do you think? What now? Now? Now, Doc. There's going to be a new head man in town. We'll return to Fangorio's Dreadtime stories after these words. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. A Good Head on His Shoulders was adapted for radio by Max Allen Collins and based on his short story. Heard in the cast were... David Darlow as Professor Armstrong, Ellie Weingart as Lillian Armstrong, Joby Cerny as Louis Carboni, Jim McCants as Lieutenant Grafton, Norm Waddell as Vinny, Danny Goldring as the Monster, and Jamie Barron as Dr. Stein. Fangoria's Dreadtime Stories with host Malcolm McDowell is a copyrighted radio feature produced and directed by Carl Amari. Executive producer, Thomas DeFeo. Associate producer, Chris Rowe. Sound design, custom Foley effects, recording, and editing are produced in the Cerny American Sound to Picture Theater by sound designers Craig Lee, Bob Benson, and Tim Cerny. Original music composed and conducted by Chris Alexander. Join us next time on The Dark Side, where the night never ends, for another fascinating story presented by Fangoria Magazine. Jim McCants speaking. <laughs>